the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Friday, April the 2nd, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Normally on this program, as we begin every day, originating live, as you know, we take a look back. We take a look at history. We take a look at what happened today. And a lot of things happened today in our world. Jimmy Carter made a couple of stupid decisions today as president. A couple of other things that are noteworthy on a ordinary day, but today, today is not an ordinary day. It's not just another day. This weekend, the world's two and a half billion Christians will celebrate, they'll remember the torture, the execution, and the resurrection of this obscure Jewish carpenter from a town that's hardly noteworthy, Nazareth, Marjorie and I have been there. There's not much to remember there except that God became flesh and dwelt among us there. Some will note this holiday in passing. They'll celebrate it much like any other, or they'll just ignore it. At least they'll just treat it as another holiday on the calendar. Yet 700 years before Jesus appeared on earth, a prophet wrote, the prophet Isaiah. He said he is despised and rejected of men, acquainted with grief. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes, we are healed. Today, today is not just any other day. Neither is Sunday coming this weekend. Let's take a look at what happened in the life of Jesus today, on this day, on Friday. In the week between Palm Sunday, as we call it, and Easter Sunday. On Friday, the first of several illegal trials took place in the life of Jesus. The first trial was before Annas, during the nighttime hours. Annas is looking for some kind of an accusation. The religious crowd want to kind of tag him with something, they can legitimize what they want to do. They want to kill him. They want him out of the way. He's in the way of the religious crew. He doesn't fit into what they have in mind. And they had a pretty good situation going on. Caiaphas was clearly, was clearly compromised. He wasn't serving God as they claim to do. He was serving himself, and he was serving what's best for his group, his family even. But this first trial before Annas, Annas was looking for an accusation. He was bidding time until the Sanhedrin could gather at the high priestly villa. I'm taking all of this. I, we know what happened in the life of Jesus on Friday. 
It's from Matthew 26, Mark chapter 14, Luke chapter 22, John chapter 18. The second trial, again, all of these trials were illegal, the way they were handled. But the second trial, and what is referred to as a more of a primary trial, that was before the Sanhedrin. Jesus is condemned, misused, abused, mocked. The third trial that happened today on what we call Good Friday was immediately at dawn. While this third trial was taking place, Peter was out there denying Jesus. This would be the third time that he had done that. Scripture tells us that as Peter denied Jesus for the third time, Jesus looked at him. I would think that if Peter, if his gaze met the gaze of Jesus as they looked at each other, and I suspect it did, I would think that he had to be asking himself, what have I done? The condemnation was repeated. Jesus was then taken to the Romans for a fourth trial before Pilate. Then there was a fifth trial before Herod, talking about looking for a miracle and those kinds of things. Then there was the sixth trial again before Pilate. In this trial, the trial number six, Jesus is scourged, the city cries, the yelling, screaming. As I read this in preparation for our program today, I couldn't help but think of some of the crowds that we've seen in our cities. Seattle, Portland, Minneapolis, you know all the cities, over this past year, screaming at the top of their voice, demanding certain things to happen. And yet when someone, a reporter or something, has the courage to ask them, what, what are you demonstrating against as they're breaking windows and burning cities and, and pushing people and people are getting, in some cases, killed, when they're asked, what, why are you doing this? What, what is this about? They don't know. They just know that they're whipped into a frenzy of emotion and they're just moving in the moment. I think that's perhaps the way this was. The crowds were crying, crucify him, crucify him. When just a week ago, there were people lining the streets of Jerusalem saying, all hail the king. People's emotions are so unpredictable. They can be driven by so many different things if they're not stabilized in the truth. But while they were demanding that the government crucify this man, this Jesus, who has blasphemed God, he said, in fact, he is God. They said, if you don't crucify him, we're going to tell Rome. Jesus is finally on this Friday, turned over to be crucified. He's mocked. The Roman soldiers take his clothes and gamble to see who gets it. They were expensive. They were nice clothes. They put a crown of thorns on his head and mock him. Put a little sign up saying, King of the Jews. None of them believed that. It was their way of further demeaning this person from Nazareth. Jesus bears his cross to the gate on the north side of the city. According to scripture, he was 
crucified around 9 a.m. in the morning. It was during those that time as he was crucified, before he died, he said things like, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And when the thieves began to ask, the one thief began to ask a question while he hung beside Jesus, Jesus assured him that his faith, his inquiry, he said, Today you will be with me in paradise. We heard Jesus cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We heard all this today. That happened in history. Today, the death of the man who was God it was about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. The veil in the temple was torn. Rocks were rent. Some graves were opened. People, <laughs> people rose from the dead. They rose to mortality, from mortality to immortality. And they went into the city, people that had been dead and buried out in the cemetery. They actually rose from the dead and they went into the city. And people began to recognize them. How would you like to experience that on a Friday? Jesus, Jesus' side was pierced, the Passover lamb slain in the temple. Jesus was buried about sundown. Tomorrow, on Saturday, at the request of the Jewish leadership, they had met over Friday night, and they were concerned that the, the followers of Jesus might try to get in there and move that stone and get that grave kind of unsealed and whatever and steal his body so they could go out and claim that he had risen from the dead. So they went to the government, the religious crew, they went to the government and they asked them to set guards there, to set a guard and to set a seal on the tomb of Jesus. They said, we're concerned that somebody will steal his body. They didn't go into the detail, I'm sure, of why they thought that. But they knew that Jesus, Jesus had said he would be resurrected. They were pretty sure he wouldn't be, but just in case. They didn't want some kind of situation where the disciples could outmaneuver them. Because they looked at life, even though they were the religious leaders, they looked at life through the political lens of their time. So they set, set the guard out there. They set the tomb. They sealed it. And they thought, ah, and they gave a great, they said, we finally have killed this dissenting voice. Whew. It was rough, but it was worth it. And then there was Sunday. On Sunday, words cannot describe adequately what happened. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Yeah, he did, before dawn. And he made five appearances on the day of his rising. He appeared to Mary Magdalene. He appeared to other women who came to the tomb intending to complete the burial preparation of his body. He appeared to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Apparently, he appeared to Simon Peter. It's not recorded specifically, but it's alluded to in Luke chapter 24 and 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
and he appeared to the astonished disciples, except one wasn't there. You know who that was. It was Thomas. All of this was taking place over this weekend. That's why today is not just any other day, and neither is Sunday. The prophet, the prophet who spoke 700 years ago, began by asking, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The prophet Isaiah continued, telling us why this would not just be any other day in chapter 53. The power of the story of the execution, the subsequent resurrection, which we retell every year. I hope we do. I believe pastors will preach this story on Sunday. I hope they do. It's that it has all the themes that have followed humans throughout all the ages. The corrupted official mocking, ask quid, ask veritas, or what is truth? Here's Pilate looking at truth. He's looking at Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he asks him, what is true? He's mocking him, but he doesn't know the truth. He's going through the motions. His wife is even encouraging him, don't do this. Pilate, don't do this. This man has not done anything wrong, but it doesn't matter. You get caught up in the political movement. Somehow you lose sight of what is real and what is true. And in the case of this man, on this weekend, nearly 2,000 years ago, he looks at truth in the face. And he says, what is truth? And the hypocrisy of the religious elite. They were shouting during this event over the weekend. Some of the religious people were shouting, we have no king but Caesar, while claiming to be followers of God. The mob, the treachery of a friend, the loneliness of the accused, the love and desperation of a mother. How do you think Mary, the mother of Jesus, felt when she knew that that 2,000-pound stone had been rolled been rolled down an incline. In fact, this is from a history account. But they say that based on what was done in those days, the fact WordPress put it out, but I'm not sure who did the research. But anyway, they say to close the tomb, the stone would be rolled down the down a groove at a decline and come to rest in front of the entrance. To open the tomb, the stone would have to be rolled up the groove at an incline, given the structure of such tombs in that day. It would not have been possible for Jesus to simply push the stone over from inside the tomb. He would have had to roll the 2,000-plus stone, uh, pound stone back up the groove, uphill, without having anything to grip. So, how do... I wonder what Mary, how she really felt when she realized that this was so final and it seemed it seemed set in stone, as they say. Certainly she experienced at least a twinge of hopelessness and desperation and sadness. Mary had been through a lot in her life. She had become pregnant and yet had, had never known a man. She was a virgin. It, she was mocked when she was pregnant with Jesus. The Roman soldiers put out rumors that she had had an affair with the Roman soldiers themselves. 
And that was one of their children. She was mocked and shunned, and people looked at her from a distance. And then after having gone through all of that, now this, has anything happened to you this past year that has caused that kind of a sense of hopelessness? Maybe the stone has been rolled over something that you thought was going to happen in your life, and it didn't happen, at least not in the way that you thought it would. We cannot fully comprehend God's purposes when we can only see the current circumstances. If we only focus on the near term, we must always consider what God is doing long term. The birth of Jesus Christ, Christmas, the death, the trials, all of this nonsense that we're talking about today, the way they break the law, they didn't care. It didn't matter if these trials were illegal. It didn't matter. Not unlike today. Lawlessness is running the streets of our country. It doesn't matter. Mayors like Jenny Durkin and others call it a summer of love or whatever. It doesn't matter. But when we look at the short term, we say, man, how, how can any good come from this? I'm sure that was Mary's own emotion that day. We must always consider what God is doing in the long term. And it all begins with the fact that we've got to come to a point where we accept the fact that God is in control and believe that with all of our hearts. Or else the God that the Bible presents to us and the God that we know and serve isn't really the God that we think he is. And he is. Because if anything proves the divinity of Jesus Christ and the authenticity of God as creator of all things as presented in the Bible, I will tell you, this weekend does. This is not like any other day, any other weekend. We can't fully comprehend God's purposes when we only see the moment. Many Christians today see the very clear imprint of the end times in our current events. I do. I believe Jesus is coming soon. Yet as World War II broke out more than eight decades ago now, many saw Hitler as an antichrist person. Some saw him as the antichrist. They believed that he was the antichrist, that the end of time was being issued in. I grew up in a Christian family and in the church and as a little kid, I, even after World War II, when I was very, very small, little, little, I've heard those conversations. But yet, as the war wound down with 50 million, a little over 50 million dead and widespread suffering around the globe, the stage had been set for the greatest explosion of Christian evangelism in the history of the world. Hitler had the spirit of Antichrist for sure. Like John tells us in his gospel that there is a person coming called Antichrist, but the spirit of Antichrist is already among us. Hitler was possessed by the spirit of Antichrist for sure. But he wasn't the Antichrist. But the stage had been set for the greatest explosion of evangelism that we'd seen. God God had prepared the way. God had a, a different view of what was going on. God allowed certain things because he had a greater purpose. 
Sometimes we misunderstand. Sometimes we have these encounters with God in our own personal life, and we say, God, the stone has been rolled across. I mean, it's impossible. Why did this happen? Why am I where I am today? Like the men walking walking on the road to Emmaus after the crucifixion. This person appears with them. You probably know the story. They don't recognize him. But it's the risen Christ. He asked them, he said, what, what's happening? They said, well, <clears throat> we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, but he wasn't. Really? <laughs> Jesus engaged them in conversation. And they said, yeah, yeah, we're, we're really kind of bummed out. Um, we had high hopes. Which of your hopes have been dashed and unrealized? This last year has been horrible. COVID-19 and all the other stuff that's gone along with it. Plans have evaporated. People's lives have been disrupted in ways that they'll probably never go back. When we talk about normal, normal probably isn't going to be what normal was 18 months ago, 24 months ago. Hopes have been dashed, unrealized. Plans have evaporated. Kids that were great athletes, counting on excelling in high school and college so they could get into the pros, not going to have that chance. It didn't happen. We're certainly living in uncertain times, troubling times. The Christian consensus prevailing since the American founding seems to have evaporated like the dew before the rising sun. But remember, this is not just any other day, nor is Sunday. On Sunday morning, an angel, an angel spoke to the women that had come back to visit the tomb. <clears throat> you know, I've preached this gospel since I was in my 20s. I was ordained to the ministry. All of my sermons haven't been great, I can assure you. Probably others can assure you that as well. But if I could just be real personal with you for a moment, I cannot... I cannot tell this story without being moved emotionally and spiritually. And I've told it a thousand times. This is real. It's real. The women came. They loved Jesus. They had high expectations as well. Like the two men walking the road to Emmaus. But on this Sunday, it didn't turn out at all like they thought. They thought everything had happened. It was a done deal. I mean, they, how, I mean, it's over. He's in the tomb. He's dead. This angel greets them and spoke to the women because the angel, of course, knew that they had come to the tomb to pay respects and so on. But the angel said, Fear not, for I know that you seek Jesus, 
which was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. Whoa. <laughs> and quickly, they said, Go tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, that there shall be him. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples the word. They were fearful and joyful. Have you ever been fearful and joyful at the same time? Well, if you just was spoken to by an angel, and they told you that the Jesus that you thought was dead was not dead, he was alive, you would probably be fearful and joyful. you go, what's going on? But let's go tell the disciples. Well, they were running to share the good news. It didn't end there. Well, they were running to share the good news. They ran right into, guess who? Jesus, the risen Lord. And they saw him. If we stand at the tomb of, in our lives, we will never really find him. He isn't there. We must remember it. He told us to remember his death, his body that was broken for our transgressions, the bruises for our iniquity. But he isn't there in the tomb. While running to tell the story of Jesus, they ran right into him. And so often in our lives, when we're doing what God has told us to do, whatever that may be, it doesn't have to be something that's big and visible, but whatever it is, when we're running to do what God has told us to do, it's in those moments, maybe of fear and joy, <laughs> that we meet Jesus. We sense his presence. We know of his, his nearness and his love. They ran right into him. He said to them, he said, don't be afraid. He said, go tell my disciples. You got to know that when you're standing face to face in the flesh with a risen Jesus Christ, you knew he was dead, you saw it. And now he's not dead, he's alive. You got to know that when you hear that message, you're probably going to go and do exactly what he told you to do. Too many of us are occupied at the tomb. Even in our world today, as we've moved away from God in our own culture, a nation founded upon godly principles, Judeo-Christian values and principles. Even today, we're not only not standing at the tomb, we've kind of forgotten about the tomb. This is just another day. We go through the motions, we may hunt some Easter eggs or whatever, but this is just another day. It's a great holiday. Spring is here, the flowers are blooming. But I want to tell you there is an eternal mark on this moment as that we celebrate that cannot be erased, and it must not be ignored. He is risen. He is risen indeed. So today, today we weep, in our hearts at least, of how Jesus was abused by all of these people, illegally, trial after trial after trial, trying to figure out something to nail him with. They couldn't find it. Pilate's wife said, Pilate, please don't do this. This is not right. This man hasn't done anything wrong. But no, we're going to do it anyway. This is the way the flow is going. We've got to do it. And then he rose from the dead. 
celebrate the resurrection this weekend. I'll see you right here on Monday.